Morning Lifehouse as we continue our Summer at Lifehouse series. And I hope you've been blessed by some amazing messages these past weeks. But today I want to take a moment and introduce you to today's speaker. And honestly, I just want to take a moment and say thank you to him as he has helped carry the load in my absence. And Pastor Jay and Heather came to us in October of 2019 and they hit the ground running, building relationships and stepping in to serve and help Kelly and I wherever needed. Jay and Heather were the lead pastors at Grace Church in Springfield, Missouri for many, many years. And we're privileged to have them now as a part of our Lifehouse team. Jay serves on our executive team. He heads up our classes and Sunday morning dream teams. And I know that he's one of our own, but Lifehouse, as we continue to cultivate kind of this culture of honor, will you stand and will you welcome this morning to the platform, Pastor Jay Bean. Uh, but we're talking about David, the life of David. And I love studying David. Like there is so much material. Most of the whole books of First and Second Samuel are almost all about David. And, and as you look at the life of David, like he was a man's man. Like he was, he was a warrior. Uh, in fact, he wanted to build the temple for God. And God's like, no, you're too much of a warrior. Warrior, you have blood on your hands. Um, your son's going to do it, Solomon. Yet he was a worshiper. Um, he was in tune with how he felt. Uh, he was, he was, uh, he was just, he's a great example. So I love studying him. I love learning about him. And he's a great example for us. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And he was the greatest king in the history of Israel. He ruled the golden age of Israel when it was at its peak. Uh, like I said, he was a warrior. He famously killed the giant Goliath. We'll talk about that today. He was a musician. He was a psalmist. He wrote about a third of the Psalms that we have in, in, our, in our book called the Psalms in the Bible. Uh, he was an ancestor to, to Jesus, our Messiah, and it's just, he is just, his life is so full of lessons that I could just talk for weeks and weeks, but, but I want to just recap a little bit about what we talked about a couple weeks ago when I, when I spoke last about some just how do we cultivate a heart after God? Because this is what was said about David in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. The Lord said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own, my own heart. And that is like the theme verse for this series of being a person after God's own heart. That is my prayer. That is my prayer for you. And that we would do everything that he wants us to do. So how did David do it? How did he develop this heart to go after God? Well, the first thing we talked about, and just as a, just kind of a recap, a reminder if you were here or just to bring you up to speed if you weren't, is that he was faithful with what God had entrusted to him. In fact, we see in Psalm 78, we, we hear the story about how he was chosen for king. It said, then he chose David, his servant. He handpicked him from his work in the sheep pens. One day he was caring for the ewes, the ewes and the lambs. And the next day he was shepherding Jacob, his people, Israel, his prized possession. His good heart made him a good shepherd. He guided the people wisely and well. Some translations say he he shepherded the people with, an, with skillfulness of hands and integrity of heart. That it was because of, of his heart of just being faithful with what God had given him. I said a couple weeks ago that God took him from the pasture to the palace, right? But he didn't know there was a palace. And he was faithful in what God had given him. And, and I think of, uh, of people who are driven, who want to accomplish a lot in life, who want to to, to, to go all the way, who want to be successful, however you would define that, 
um, that it's easy to always be looking ahead. And, and if we're not careful, we'll look past where we are right now. And you, you, you see that sometimes with your kids, right? You think about how they'll be when they're older, or you think about um, uh, different, different stages in life. And, and if you're not careful, you can miss out on what you have right now thinking about the future. It doesn't mean that we don't think about the future, but it, what it does mean is that we're faithful to what God has given us now. David learned how to shepherd the people of God, how to be a king after God's own heart by being faithful with the sheep that God had given him. And the Bible says, if you're faithful with little, God will give you more. And we see that in the life of David. And then David also, in the same thread, he allowed God to use his vocation, his, the work on the outside of you, what you do for a living. God used that to work on the inside of him, of his heart. And I talked about how God is not going to waste a third of our life, right? Like we spend at least a third of our life at work. And God uses the stress, the temptations, the difficulties, the, 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 the conflict, even successes. He uses all this exterior stuff that we're involved in, that we do every day, to, if we'll allow him to work on the inside of us, to conform us to the image of his son. And so let's don't discount that work that God wants to do, because it was in that, it was David's interior life was developed through what was even going on outside. And then God wants to do that in our lives as well. And so then that brings us to today of where we pick up this series. So David developed a heart after God. One of the ways he did that is because he knew his God. And he knew his God through solitude, worship, and scripture. Solitude, worship, and scripture. And let's look at that for a little bit. Solitude. It fascinates me. And I love the idea that David was in the fields of Bethlehem, just a small little town in the southern part of Israel, in Judea, Bethlehem, in, the, in these fields. And it reminds me of the story of Luke, where it says, and at night there were shepherds in the field outside of Bethlehem when, you know, when the angels came and declared that, that God had come as man. These were the same fields. This was the same place where David spent day after day, night after night, tending to his father's flocks. And I just imagine there was a lot of solitude. I imagine there was a lot of isolation. I imagine there was a lot of alone time with the Lord. And this is kind of an interesting thing because when we think about solitude, like it's not always in a positive way that we would think about it. I mean, think about prisoners, uh, people that are in prison. The harshest form of punishment that a prisoner can receive is to be in solitary confinement. Because God has, uh, he has, he has wired us, he has made us for relationship. He has made us for community. He has made us to be interacting with one another. And, and, and although that is, that is so true, it's also true that we need to be alone with him. We need to have solitude with him. We need to, to be still in his presence. You know, there's a story in the New Testament about two sisters named Mary and Martha. Maybe you've heard about it. They'd invited Jesus over for dinner. He's having dinner at their house, and Martha's in the kitchen. I mean, she's cooking uh, the pot roast and, you know, uh, peeling the potatoes and, 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 and making dinner, making the sweet tea, right? Anybody else getting hungry? And, and making dinner, and Mary's just, just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha gets upset, and she's like, Jesus, tell Mary to come in here and help me. I'm having to do this all by myself. And he goes, 
And I love Jesus' phrase, and I can't get, I, I always, I just can't get it out of my mind. Um, he goes, Martha, 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 and it makes me think of, what was that show where it goes, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha? But uh, yeah, that, but he goes, Martha, Martha, Martha. Mary has chosen what is best. She has chosen the best thing, which was just being still and just present in his presence. And I'm telling you, we can be Martha's, can't we? Just busy, 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 busy in life. But just to stop and be alone with him is what recharges our batteries. It actually gives us something worth giving to others. Jesus was continually leaving the crowds. Jesus was continually, he would minister, he would pour out, he would serve, he would heal, he would feed, he would, he would meet the needs of those around him, and then he would retreat. He would get away. He would spend time alone with his father because everything flows out of that relationship. John 15, uh, it, it, if, you, if you read that passage, it's a picture of a vine, a, of a vineyard, and it's, and, it's, and it's like there is no fruit unless you're connected to the vine, unless that life of God flowing in us and through us is what actually produces fruit. And if it's not of him, then there's actually no fruit. And we have to be with him to actually produce something of lasting fruit in our life. I remember when I was learning how to be quiet and still, of how to have solitude before the Lord. I think, I think solitude and silence before the Lord is like a muscle, okay? Uh, so if any of you have ever started doing new exercises, have you, you ever noticed that sometimes you get sore in places that you didn't even know existed, right? You have muscles. I didn't even know I had a muscle there. You've never done that. Okay, well, <laughs> Try exercising sometime. It, you'll, you'll, exp you'll just experience a soreness. It's like, where did that come from? And I think silence and solitude is like that. It's like an undeveloped muscle. And you start doing it, and it's uncomfortable. And it, doesn't, it just doesn't feel normal because that muscle's not used to being exercised. And if you neglect it, if you, if you get out of the, the practice or the discipline of it, then it atrophies just like a physical muscle does. And, and I know in my own life, when I'm, when I'm exercising that muscle, when I'm alone with the Lord in silence and solitude, just receiving from him, that my family can tell, people around me can tell, I'm a better person when I've been with Jesus. And when I haven't, it, that, that muscle gets weak. I remember the first time I really began to exercise that muscle. I did, you know, I I did what you're probably not supposed to do in exercise. You know, in exercise, they say, you know, start small and increase by 10%, you know, each time and work your way up. But, and I would say that's true of solitude. Start with a couple of minutes and work your way up. I didn't. I went off the deep end. I, I actually, several, many years ago, I went to a monastery in the Ozark Mountains uh, in southern Missouri, and I just went away for like three days. No cell coverage, nothing, and I'm telling you, it was like detox. Like I was shaken. I was like, I had no interaction with other people. And, and it was like, I didn't know how to be alone with myself and with my thoughts and with my feelings. And, and it was a totally like foreign experience to me. But yet I grew so much. I still, I still, there's still things the Lord showed me and taught me in those days I still glean from. And, it be, and that was a process that I began to really develop this practice in my life. And I just, I just want to encourage you. And I was, 
And in fact, it was so funny. A few weeks ago, I was on a pastor's retreat with some other pastors. And again, we were in a place where there was no cell phone coverage like at all. And you should have seen all of us. We were like looking at our phone, just trying to get some kind of coverage. And it was impossible. And so I have a confession to make to you. This is what I found myself doing. Have you ever like tried to go on your phone and you don't have a good connection? And so it won't load any new data, either on social media or news or any of that. So it's just what was previously there, but nothing new. I found myself rereading news and rereading like Facebook posts, not because there was anything new, but it was simply habit. And I was looking at it, I was just like, Jay, like, what are you doing? Like, really you? And it was, it was good for me to be like, to not, to, to not, to, to be forced to be disconnected because, you know, I think this thing right here really gets in the way of a lot of silence and solitude with the Lord. I mean, it's super distracting. Even if you have the Bible app, right? You're reading the Bible app and then you get notifications and it's like, no, that was not helpful. You know, and you're, you're, you're trying to read through. I remember, so several years ago, I'm sure it happened here at Lifehouse as well. The church I was lead pastor at Missouri, we had to change all of our wireless mics and all of our ear monitors. We had to change them all because the frequencies of cell phones and the frequencies of, of, our, of our wireless were getting so crossed that they had to come out with all new um, mics and, uh, and, and ear monitors. Now, either that was a ploy just to sell a lot of equipment to churches, but, no, but we really were. We'd get all kinds of feedback because cell phone, I couldn't have a phone in my pocket and have a mic in my pocket because there would be interference. And I think that's a good illustration for our life that, you know, we want to hear the Lord. We want to be present with those around us. But these things, they just cause a lot of distraction. They really do. And I'm telling you, I'm preaching to myself first before any of you. Like you ever heard the saying, if you're pointing the finger at somebody else, there's three pointing back at you, right? Like that, that's how I am right now. Henry David Thoreau said this. He said, the price of anything is that amount of life that you exchange for it. The price of anything is, so the price of these is not so much the dollars, although they're expensive, but it's the amount of life that we exchange for it. I believe it's a barrier to solitude and, and stillness. I think it's kind of like in the uh, Roman Empire, I don't know if you've ever been to like Italy or Greece or one of the places that, were, that was a part of the great Roman Empire. I, I've had the privilege to, to be there. And when you're there, you see these huge aqueducts that would take water from the rivers and pipe it in. I mean, the plumbing systems of the Romans was amazing technology. One of the things they discovered was lead pipes. And so they used lead pipes in these aqueducts to bring water, and they used it for their plumbing. And I've heard it said that, that these things, like our phones and social media, that type of thing, is like the lead pipes of ancient Rome. That, I mean, they bring life. Like, there's some good things that happen through it, right? I mean, the gospel goes forth on our phones. The people are able to be reached through technology. Like, it is super nice to do remote deposit banking, isn't it? Like, that, there's some really helpful things that happen. But just like with the Romans, it brought, it brought life, but it also slowly gave them lead poisoning. They got life and lead poisoning at the same time. And I think... I think these do similar things in our life. If we're, and so I think we just have to really be careful. There's good things, but there's also some really toxic things 
that can come with it. And so when we look at a life of solitude and silence in the modern world we live in, we have to figure out what we're going to do about this thing as we come to be still and quiet and present with the Lord. So not only did, did, did David develop a life of solitude and stillness before the Lord, but he, he, he had a heart of worship. And I believe it was his heart of worship that really helped conform and to shape his heart after God. David was a warrior. He won many battles. I, I ultimately, I don't believe his battles were won on the battlefield. I believe his battles were won in times of worship, that he knew who his God was. He knew he, who he was in the Lord because his focus was on him, his worship was on him, and then it, and it materialized in the battles that he fought. And so I love the fact that he was a worshiper and a warrior at the same time. And so I want to challenge us, I want to encourage us to be, to, be war, to be warriors and to be worshipers. And guys, I want to talk to us, for the men here, for a, for a little bit. Ladies, you're in on this too. But, but I have just seen over the decade, decades of ministry that I've been ministering is I have seen us men struggle in the area of worship just more than ladies have. You know, it, it's not just in this church. It's every church I've ever been in that a lot of times you'll see ladies you know, lifting their hands, worshiping, and, and you'll see guys kind of doing this thing, you know, and maybe reading some lyrics. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pointing anybody out. I'm not doing, I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm observing. Okay. I'm observing. And you, you see this and, and, and I'm telling you guys, God has more for us than that. And I'm sure there's a lot of different reasons for it. I'm sure there's some psychological reasons for it, but but I know beyond that, that I know the Lord has, even in the New Testament, he tells us to, to sing hymns, to sing songs, to sing spiritual songs to one another. Peter says, men, and he's addressing men. He says, men, lift up holy hands to the Lord. The men, we are called to be worshipers. And, and I don't know if it's pride. I don't know exactly what it is that sometimes creates a barrier for us but I want us to press through that. I want us to move beyond that. And, and some of the ways you can do that are by, by closing your eyes and, and, and not focusing on those around you, but focusing on him, worshiping to an audience of one. And I'm telling you, something happens in your life, friend, when you get your eyes off of others, when you get your eyes off of yourself, and you're in the presence of God with others, and you begin to focus on him, and you begin to worship him. And I'm, I'm not saying it's all outside stuff. I'm not saying a person that raises their hands is more holy than a person that doesn't raise their hands. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is there's something freeing that comes when you begin to give yourself and worship to him. There, the inside of you changes, right? Like there's a reason when somebody that's robbing a bank or you know, uh, mugging somebody, if they stick a knife or gun up to you, what do you do? Like you raise your hands, right? Because it's a sign of surrender. And so we, we, we raise holy hands to the Lord. We surrender to him. And I'm telling you if, you, if you will have this perspective of it, that the songs that we sing, that these are prayers that we're praying. And so we're not singing romance songs to God. We're declaring prayers. We're singing prayers of who he is and of what he's done. And so I just want to encourage us men to, uh, to be the men that God has called us to be. It's not a wimpy thing. It's not a weak thing. We see one of the greatest warriors in history was a man of worship and that we would be one who would, 
who would lift up holy hands. We would be one who would declare, sing forth the praises of our God. And, and I'm telling you, your inside will change. And, 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 and you know, the best way to start is in your personal life. When you're driving down the road, when you're um, maybe working in the yard, you'd have ear, earphones on, earpods in, and, and you would just, you know, find music that you like and, and worship music that you like. I mean, listen to different things on Spotify that would, or, or just Google it of just worship music and find something that you like. Not that you can't worship the stuff you don't like, but I mean, you'll find a genre, a genre of a style of music that fits you and use that to just begin to worship the Lord. I mean, if you like the Gaithers, like, listen to the Gaithers. And if you don't know who the Gaithers are, you won't like the Gaithers, so don't worry about it. But I'm just telling you, begin to press in in your private, in your private world. When you're driving your truck or you're driving your car, just begin to speak praises to the Lord. The Bible talks about sing a new song to the Lord. What is that? A new song to the Lord is not a song that you learned, that you know it's just something that God has put in your heart that you would say, Lord, I love you. Lord, I bless you. Lord, I thank you. And you just declare that to the Lord and you begin to grow. It's like, a, again, it's like a muscle that you begin to exercise and you begin to grow. And I believe you will see your life change. We All through scripture, we see how when people worship, their life changes. And so I just want to, I just want to encourage you in that today. And then another way that his heart was, was just a part after God was by scripture. When I was, um, I went to two different Bible colleges, actually three, went with seminary. But when I was in my first, the first Bible school I went to, when, um, when I was in, just right out of high school, in Oklahoma City, I would drive, I was a couple hours from home, and I would drive home several weekends a month, and it'd be late at night, and I would, I, I don't even know how I got them. I think, you guys remember when you used to be able to like get some CDs, you remember what CDs are, right? So you get CDs, you get like buy like one for 10 cents or one cent. And then a few months later, like they sent you the bill with the expensive CDs, right? It was a trick. Well, I fell for that trick once, but with the, the CDs that I got were scripture CDs. And so I didn't have a CD player in my 85 Buick Regal. So I had one of those, <laughs> I did, I had one. <laughs> you know, those cassette players that you had a cassette and it had a wire out of it and it was an adapter that you could run a CD player through it. I know I'm aging myself, but that's what I had. So I had it in my front. You know, I had a bench seat in the front. And so I had it there in the middle so it wouldn't shake because if it shook, you couldn't hear it, right? And so I was listening to the CD and it was, they were scriptures to songs. And I'm telling you, they were so cheesy. Like the music was terrible. It was so cheesy. But there's something that happened in my life. As I listened and I began to sing the scripture and it just, I began to put God's word in my heart in such a way that I still benefit from it now, decades later. And David knew this secret. In Psalm 119, he says this, he says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And friends, when we begin to put the word of God in our heart, Man, it makes all the difference in the world. We see in the Old Testament, we see an illustration, an account that happened where 
God's people were being moved out of Egypt, but they hadn't yet moved into the land of promise. And so they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And as they were in the wilderness, God miraculously provided for them in a, in a form of food called manna. It was heavenly bread. It was miraculously, it would just like spring up like dew every morning except the morning of Sabbath. But it would rot if they tried to keep it overnight except for that day of Sabbath. And so they had to go get fresh bread every day. And so that was a physical um, uh, example, but it, there has spiritual a- application to it as well. Because we know in the, in the New Testament that Jesus is called the bread of life, and he is the, the logos, he is the word of God um, in flesh that dwelt among us. So, um, so as, we, as we receive from the Lord, there is a spiritual application that the words of our Lord are like bread to us. They are like food to us. Like how long can you go without food, right? Not very long, right? I mean, we're Texans, right? We don't go, we don't go long without food. And so it is with our spiritual food that, you know, what I received from the Lord yesterday is good and it was good for yesterday, but you know, I'm still going to eat today physically, even though I ate yesterday. Would any of us say, well, you know, I ate yesterday. I don't really need to eat today. No, we're like, come on, pastor, hurry up. It's, it's like seven till noon. We're getting hungry, right? I mean, we eat every day. And so we need fresh words from the Lord every day through his word to strengthen us, to be that bread of life, to give us the strength that we need, to, to, to give us all that we need. In fact, Jesus, when he was being tempted, he was led into the wilderness. And as he was in the wilderness, Satan came and tempted him. And one of the temptations was to turn stone into bread, to force his will upon nature, to, to take a shortcut for instant gratification. And, and Jesus goes, no. And there, there's, there's two great things here. One is, I mean, how did he overcome Satan? He overcame him by the words of the Lord. Like he knew scripture. He knew, he knew the word of the Lord. And the scripture used was out of Deuteronomy. And the scripture that he used to overcome the enemy was, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. That he knew there was a spiritual substance that came from being with his Father and being in the Word, and so it is with us. That this Word that comes from his words are what gives us life. You know, when we face difficulty in life, there's this old saying that says, what's in the well will come up, right? You put a bucket down in a well and whatever's in that well is going to come up. And when we face the difficulties of life, whatever's in this well is what's going to come up. And if we haven't had solitude, if we haven't had worship, if we haven't had the word in us in our well, in fact, David even said, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. And so we guard this and because whatever's in the well is going to come up. So we know David had these things in his life, the solitude, the worship, the scripture to, to cultivate this heart after him. But he also, he also developed a heart after him when he stepped up to the challenges because of his faith in God. When he stepped up to the challenges because of his faith in God. He faced some challenges, didn't he? We see that all through scripture. These, these, faith, these challenges that David faced. And so, so there's one account 
where he goes to his brothers who are fighting in the war. So they're in the Israeli war, and there's this huge valley. And in this valley, the army of Israel is on one side, and the army of the Philistines is on the other side, right? And so there's this giant, maybe you've heard of him, Goliath, who is down in the valley, and he's cussing, and he's swearing, and he's telling um, He's telling them that you don't have a chance. And so what had happened was the, uh, the leaders had, had decided, rather than losing lots of soldiers, we're going to have one of theirs face one of ours, and then it's winner take all, and they'll save a lot of lives. And so David was their guy. He was like nine and a half feet tall. His, his spear weighed 125 pounds. I mean, he was this massive, massive guy, and, and he was cussing and shouting and just blaspheming God and blaspheming Israel. And everybody was afraid. Everybody was, 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 was afraid of him. They were, they were not advancing. God had told them they'd be victorious. God had given them the promise, but they let fear, they let this giant stand in their way. But David was of another spirit. And so David comes and he comes and comes to the front lines to bring the supplies to his siblings. And a few weeks ago, I talked about how David was the one that was always left out. Once again, he was the one that was left out. His siblings were off to war and and he was back home taking care of the sheep, but he brought him the supplies. And as he brings them the supplies, he, he sees what's going on. And he said, this isn't right. This isn't right. He goes, he goes, somebody needs to stand up to this bully. Somebody needs to destroy him. There is a God that is alive in Israel. And he knows that. He knows the Lord his God. And so he, he goes to Saul, the king, and he's like, let me at him. I'll take him on. And Saul looks at him and he's like, there's no way. There's no way you can do this. He's like, yes, there is. Yes, there is. And, and this is where we find it in 1 Samuel chapter 17. David said this. He said, I've been a shepherd tending sheep for my father. And whenever a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I'd go after it. I'd knock it down and rescue the lamb. And if it turned on me, so he goes and he knocks it down. He takes the lamb, the lamb away. So it seems like he did this more than once. Okay. Because then he goes, and if it turns, so there must be some that just would scatter. But if the lion, if the bear didn't scatter, if it then turned on him, I'd grab it by the throat, wring its neck, and kill it. That's a man right there, right? <laughs> lion or bear, it made no difference. I killed it. And I'll do the same to this Philistine pig, this uncircumcised Philippine who's taunting the troops of this, of, of this living God, the God who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. I love that faith. Have you ever encountered a lion or a bear? Have you? I, I have. I, I've encountered a lion in a in, in South Africa, I was there on a mission trip, and then we did a safari after the missions portion of it. So we're on this Jeep, um, and we're driving on this Jeep. You know, there's like a dozen of us, and we're in this big Jeep, and we're driving along, and we pull up, oh, like 12 feet, just 12 feet, like for me, for the first or second row from these lions. And I'm like, like I'm thinking... There's like, there's no cage. Like that lion could jump up. I did not have the same faith that David had here. And so I'm thinking, but these lions are just panting. They're just, and, 
And the, our guide, a safari guide, told us they had, they had just, you know, killed a gazelle or something. They were eating. Like, they had the meat sweats. You know, they were just, you know, they were just like, like, they were not interested in us. Those weren't the same kind of lions that David faced. David faced hungry lions with sharp fangs, and he knew those. But he had seen God been faithful when he had faced those, and then he faced a bear. You ever faced a bear? I faced a bear in May of this year. We were camping. Well, not camping. Uh, well, we were camping for Heather's standards of camping. We were staying in a really nice cabin in the Smoky Mountains, and that's camping to, to, to Heather. And so we were, um, we were glamping. We were camping in this cabin. And so I go out one morning. Actually, my son-in-law goes out, and he goes, uh, uh, Jay, did you leave the, uh, your car door open last night? We had unloaded a bunch of groceries, and I'm like, no. So I walk out, and this is what it, uh, the car door is just open. And so, and there was like chunks of foam in the driveway. And so, yeah, they're going to scroll through these pictures. And this bear, the claws, David knew the claws of a bear. The claws of the bear tore up Heather's car. We should have rented a car. <laughs> but we should But And that was the bear right there, at least one of them. I mean, he's talking about some claws. I should have gone. I should have ripped it to shreds, but I'm not quite the man David is. <laughs> but you know, Goliath can represent giants in our life. Obstacles that we face that are between us and what God has intended for us. And how do we respond to these giants in our life? How do we respond to these obstacles? How do we respond to these Goliaths. When, because what we hear is we hear their lies. We hear their chattering. Like we hear their, 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 the, just the lies and the venom that's being spewed at us. Just this morning, like a, just a great illustration of this. It was early this morning. The sun was coming up and I, was, um, I had my coffee and my breakfast and I'm, I'm out on my back deck and we have a chocolate lab, Ellie, and she's out there with me. And we have a bunch of trees in our backyard. We're so grateful for that. And there was this squirrel that was like halfway in the backyard, about 12 foot up a tree. And this squirrel decided that his objective this morning was going to be to drive our dog crazy. And so have you ever seen a squirrel just start chattering at it like an animal? And so this squirrel, I mean, he is so loud and he's shouting. And if I could understand squirrel, I'm sure he was making fun of our dog. He was taunting him. He was saying, you can't get up here to me. You, you can't. I mean, he was throwing acorns at him. I mean, not really, but he wanted to. I knew it. Like he was taunting him. Just, You're, you can't get me. You can't get me. Come on, just try. Just try. Just try. And, you know, our dog, she's getting older. Uh, there would have been a day when she'd be going nuts. She's actually injured herself a few times trying to get squirrels. So she's just kind of looking at him like, are you really worth it? And he's just chattering. He's like Goliath, you know, just, you can't do anything. You're nothing. You're nothing. And then I pull out my pellet gun and I point this pellet. I'm not, I didn't do it. Some of you are like, but I'm telling you, we have these like squirrels like that, that are taunting us. And, and they're, uh, it's like a Goliath that's just standing in the way. And I'm telling you, this is what we so often do. And I'm so guilty of this, 
that when we face a Goliath, when we face a challenge, when we face this obstacle, whatever it might be, that there's a narrative that we'll hear in our ear, in our heart, that is coming from that source that says, you're not enough, you don't have enough, you won't be able to do that, you're not going to be victorious, you can't overcome this problem, and just it pushes us down and down and down and down. But I'm telling you, David had a different perspective. I think when we face our challenges, we tend to look at our past failures, and we think of our past failures, and we think of how we won't be able to do this because of failings in the past, but David gives us an opposite example of that to look at the faithfulness of God, to look at past successes. I can overcome this because God helped me overcome this before. I can meet God will meet this financial need because he met this financial need before. God's going to meet this health need because God met this health need before. This relationship issue, I'm going to get through this issue because God's been faithful previously in my life. And it totally changes our perspective. Was David, was he, was there fear there? I'm sure there was. He's a normal person, but he knew who his God was. He knew that there was a God in Israel and he wanted everybody to know that there was a God in Israel. His motive wasn't that he would be great. His motive wasn't that he would be famous. His motive is that people would know that there is a God. And I'm telling you, when we face our giants, when we face the difficulties in our life, if our motive is not us, but it's that God would be glorified, God would be honored, that we tap into something that is not within us. And it happens when we remember the faithfulness of our God. We remember what he's done for us before. One of the transforming stories, accounts of my life, of a bear, of a lion, that, that I faced was it was when I, when I was growing up, like I was raised by a single mom. God was so good, so faithful to us. But I'm telling you, there wasn't a lot extra. You know, there were times where I needed, I needed uh, sneakers, I needed basketball shoes, and, and God would just provide miraculously. Or we were, we'd be like down to the end of our food, and, and somebody would show up with food. And just miraculous provision by God. And, and I remember when I was changing Bible schools, I was I'd gone to school in Oklahoma City for a couple of years, and I was going to go to school in L.A. And God had called me there. I knew God had called me there. And I had packed my car. Still had that 85 Buick Regal. I packed it. It was ready to go. It was a Saturday night. I was supposed to leave on Monday. And as I packed to go out to Life Bible College, I went out with my friends that last weekend, went to have fun. But not my mom. Her and a couple of friends were at our house. They were praying for me that God would provide because she knew, she knew what I needed. I, I had $1,000 left to pay before I could start school. And in, in those days, our, our Bible school's view was, if God wants you here, he'll provide. They wouldn't let us get student loans, so that wasn't an option. And, and so it was God provided, or I didn't go, but my, my, my car was packed. I was just, I didn't know what else to do, right? But just try to move forward. And, and so there was a little, I grew up in Aid, Oklahoma, and there was a, just a four-square church, a little one that had just been planted that year. My mom started going there. It was like 75 people on a good day. And, and so the pastor there asked me to speak that night, Sunday night. And churches used to have Sunday night services, if you didn't know that. And there was about 10 people there that night. And that's the reason churches don't have Sunday night services. But there's about 10 people and they asked me to speak. And so I spoke and I'm telling you, it was a terrible sermon. Like it was so bad. It was so bad. I still remember how bad that sermon was. 
And so I, pre- I preach the sermon afterwards. A pastor comes up and, and they pray for me. And they say, we're going to receive an offering for Jay to help with Bible school. And so that, those 10 people, that little church plant, that night gave me exactly $1,000 for school. And not only did I get the $1,000 for school, a lady walked up, gave me her credit card with a self-addressed stomped envelope and said, put your gas, put your groceries, um, you know, your, when you stop to eat, your hotel, whatever you need to get out there, put it on this card. I mean, that was the day when you, remember you used to have to slide the credit cards on, on like triplet carbon copied paper? And just put all your expenses on it and mail it back to me. So five years later, I still had her card. No, I didn't. <laughs> and you know what else that church did? Those folks in that church, those, probably of those 10 people that were there that night, they sent $500 a month for three years to pay my tuition through Bible school. I'm here today because of them. And whenever I have faced questions of God providing in my life, I look back on that night. I look back on the faithfulness and I said, God, you who were faithful then, you're going to be faithful now. And friends, look back. In fact, let's just take a moment. Would you just close your eyes and would you just think back to a time when God's been faithful? Maybe he brought somebody into your life that you needed. Maybe he provided miraculously financially. Maybe there was healing that he brought into your life. And maybe you shouldn't even be here now, but you're here. Do Do you have that picture? Do you know what it is? Whatever giant you're facing, whatever difficulty you're facing, that same God who was faithful then will be faithful to you now. And it doesn't matter what giant you face in your future because that same God who was faithful then and is faithful now will be faithful in the future. And you don't have to be afraid of Goliath in your future because we serve a God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I want to pray for you this morning.